With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Radio with your host, Hal Shirtliff. This show is heard on WBCQ The Planet every Tuesday and Thursday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can also uh, listen to it on our YouTube channel. We usually upload them within a few days of the broadcast. And also on Podomatic.com. We have a Podomatic page where we have archived a lot of our shows, so please visit that. And also on IPMNation.org, which is a New Hampshire-based 24-hour media online outlet, and that, I believe, is every Saturday at 8 a.m. Uh, it is The show is brought to you by Camp Constitution, which, among other things, hosts a week-long family camp, and this year's camp will be in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, at the Lakeside Christian Camp and Conference Center. And uh, to learn more, visit our website, campconstitution.net. Uh, we have a guest on the line, and that would be Ellen Cole. How are you doing, Ellen? Doing well, Hal. How are you doing today? Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Ellen is a uh, pro-life activist, New Hampshire-based, uh, a blogger, and a hiker, I understand. so. Uh, plus, oh, yes. I can't get enough in New Hampshire trails. <laughs> you're in the right state for hikes because there's plenty of mountains. Uh, uh, beautiful. In fact, I was just up in Haverhill, New Hampshire, and uh, it was nice to see uh, the snow. It's still a lot of snow up in northern New Hampshire, though. It was amazing. Well, most of it's gone down here in the Boston area. Yeah, that's true. So anyway, I happened to, I met Ellen recently at I was on an in studio uh, radio station in Nashville, New Hampshire, WSM SM um SMN WSMN. Right. And uh, the lady that was interviewing you was right before I was coming on and you were talking about the movie Unplanned. Uh, we have done a lot here at Camp Constitution when the Gosdell movie came out, we sponsored some showings up in northern Maine. And also, uh, I showed it at my home and a few other venues. And a phenomenal movie. And uh, there are two other movies that are, one is this movie Unplanned, which will mm-hmm. be debuting, I believe, later this month. Showing. Uh, so tell us about the movie and um, why people must see it. Well, you know, the Gosnell movie was extraordinary. And a lot of its power came from how low-key it was simply using the available uh, public record. Unplanned is a very different movie. It is one woman's story, and she doesn't pretend to be objective, and why should she? Uh, Abby Johnson was a manager of a Planned Parenthood facility in Texas, a very successful one. And about 10 years ago, after a number of things happened gradually, she left the abortion industry. That was, and she began to write about it, and that's what Unplanned is about. She certainly didn't plan to ever leave the industry. She had thought that what she was working for, Planned Parenthood, was about women's health. And the longer she worked at the facility, the more she realized they were depending on abortion to make money. And while she had had abortions herself, she thought, this just isn't right. This isn't consistent with women's health. At the same time, Outside her facility, there were people praying. 
in a program that later became 40 Days for Life. They were praying over a long period of time. They gradually got to know her. And when she was ready to leave the clinic, she went to them. She didn't know who to turn to. She went to the people she had come to know through the years and said, look, I need to start over. I'm going to need a new job. I'm going to need help leaving. And the relationship that had been built there brought her to where she is today, one of the most outspoken, effective pro-life people in the United States today. Unplanned is about that process and how unexpected changes happened in one woman's life and the difference they made to her and to the people around her. And I think some of the, uh, I should say, in my opinion, the best pro-life activists are those that have had abortions uh, mm-hmm. it, or maybe some of the men who's encouraged their wives or daughters or, and girlfriend and or girlfriends to have abortions. I think it was, was it Bernard Nathanson who was one of the pioneers in the abortion movement uh, realized at oh. some point that, hey, I'm wrong and we lied about everything. And he was very much welcomed into the uh, the pro-life ranks. It's not like, well, gee, you did this and you know, you can never atone for your sins, I think. Well, this is what happens when you look at people as people and not as positions. And you're right. I'm so glad you mentioned Dr. Nathanson because not enough people know about him today. He was actually one of the founders of the National Abortion Rights Action League. And he he had done abortions, many thousands. He was committed to that. And gradually, again, gradually, one thing after another, one relationship after another, he came to realize this was the ending of human life and he couldn't be part of it. And he made a classic short film called The Silent Scream, which was simply showing what happened during an abortion. And, you know, as with the Gosnell movie, one of the most striking things about The Silent Scream was how understated it is. Dr. Nathanson narrated it like, you know, he's a clinician. He wasn't a preacher. He was simply describing what happened. And the power of that video came in part from hearing it narrated by this man. One person can make such a difference. Well, I think in the Gosnell movie, I've watched it since I've shown it to different groups. I've watched it maybe 12 times. And mm-hmm. it's something that doesn't, it's not like, oh my goodness, I got to sit through this again, because you sort of pick up things that you may have missed or what have you. And I think the most, in that particular movie, I think one of the better scenes was, um, the most powerful scenes was when um, uh, uh, the the attorney for Gosnell was, uh, test, was questioning a uh, an abortion uh, provider, and she was the she was there as a witness for the prosecution. So she was the good mm-hmm. abortion doctor. And he asked about the procedure and they showed, uh, they had a, a screen and there's a picture of an ultrasound with a little baby in there. And he gets this huge needle and he says, now what do you do with this? We stick it in the heart, potassium chloride. And the, they kept on saying fetal, fetal, feed us, feed us, feed us, you know, like it's sometimes mm-hmm. not a real human being, but I don't know what, if it's not even being without beating heart, I don't know what is. And then, you know, he, he described, then what else do you do? And he pulls out this gigantic forcep, you know, we stick this mm-hmm. in and then we have to suck out the gray matter. You mean the brain. And then we crush the skull. And I mean, just sit and listen to that. I says, oh my goodness, this is what these people do for a living. And, and that was taken from the court record. That was not jacked right. up by the screenwriter. No, that's right. That's right. 
In fact, I just got a copy of the book itself. And, of course, it's almost impossible to put a movie in 100% translation. It's impossible to do. With, you only have so much, so much time. Mm-hmm. But uh, th- these were brought out in the book as well. And um, so I think that is a very powerful pro-life message. And that's why the folks on the other side that do have a lot of influence, if not, not complete control, but a lot of control over the media and over Hollywood. And these kinds of movies aren't they don't help your career either. I'm sure that... Well, you know, uh, there's, there's something about unplanned that I hope will... I, I hope that people who have no problem with abortion will see it, and the first scene might put them off a bit. You know, this film has been given an R rating, which is funny because if you've seen a television ad for The Walking Dead, you've seen more gore than you'll see in unplanned. <laughs> That's right. But... But um, the opening scene, and I screened the movie a few weeks ago, um, shows the event in the clinic that pushed Abby out. Um, It's not bloody, but it's not pretty either. And then the rest of the film is told in flashback. But someone who might be okay with what goes on inside an abortion facility would go, oh, that's not accurate. That's not what Mm -hmm. happened. Stick with it. In fact, as the movie goes back and you see the events one by one that build up and then it comes back to what happened in the first scene, it's like, aha, now I get it. Now it makes sense. Um, Abby, she's a real person with real experiences. And if you trust women and believe women, her story must be something you know about. It's interesting. I have a friend that lives in Oklahoma who also had a similar experience. You know, she had a con- religious conversion, and she she knows Abby, and she's actually an extra in the movie. And she told me if it wasn't for her faith, she wouldn't be able to make it day to day. And I said, <laughs> get on the train. I think that goes for all of us, you know, people of faith. Yeah. So uh, uh, interesting, too. I was doing a little research on this other movie that's uh, still in the hopper, so to speak. It's uh, called Roe vs. Wade. Yeah. And that uh, initially they they changed the the, the, the the some of the actors or crew people didn't quite know what the movie was about. And when they found out that it was a pro-life aspect, a lot of them just quit, just left the, left the set up and quit. And mm-hmm. uh, wasn't it the director of – now, who directs this movie, um, Unplanned? I'm not sure who, dire- uh, who directs Unplanned. I'm, that is escaping me at the moment. But these are people who approached Abby and said, we'd love to make your story into a movie. And she thought, yeah, right, who are these guys? But she asked uh-huh. around and found they were established filmmakers. If you're familiar with the film God's Not Dead, it's the team behind that movie. Yes, that's enormously right. enormously yes. successful commercially. So the, right. the, the, this is for real. <laughs> I mean, the, this is this is this was not shot with a you know with an old eight millimeter. This is a professionally done production <laughs> that really honors uh, her story. Now, uh, Planned Parenthood itself, they seem to get a, pretty much a free ride from the mass media, and uh, they're a pretty dirty organ. Historically, a pretty dirty organization, and. Uh, it was just a few months ago I brought one of our instructors as a black minister from uh, New Jersey, Reverend Stevie Kraft. And the letter, the infamous letter that Margaret Sanger sent um, uh, Dr. Clarence Gamble. Are you familiar with that? Uh, was this one of her eugenics? Uh, yes. Her eugenics <clears throat> yes. Mm-hmm. yes, that's correct. Yeah. In fact, 
the letter isn't something made up by some right-wing extremist, as the left would probably want you to believe, mm-hmm. or, also, or some pro-life zealot. It's uh, in her papers at the the library, Smith College, Smith College Library, and it was uh, she actually wrote it in. It was December of 1938 or 30, 39. So she the, showed her form early. Oh yeah. The address is uh, not too far from me in the town of Milton, just uh, you know, five, four or five miles. So I brought Reverend Kraft. We were across the street from the house. I don't know who lives in that house now. The house has nothing to do with the person who lives there. But I just thought it made it, put, made it a little more real. And he read the letter. Mm-hmm. And she said to them, and he was the, Gamble was the grandson of the founders of, one of the founders of Procter & Gamble, and he inherited a lot of money. I mean, back then, I don't know how much he did. It was thousands of dollars. Today, that would be millions, be worth millions with inflation. And he was a pioneer in the uh, research of, uh, of various um, uh, abort efficients. And he was also the president of the Eugenics Society, which still exists. They just changed the name. I don't recall what it's called today. But when, when organizations get controversial, they usually change the name, like the That's uh, right. Federation the Confe- of, yeah, the, you know, like the <laughs> when National the Hemlock Council Society became Compassion and Choices, really. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, that's yeah. Oh, yeah. They, so they changed their name, like they're oh, hiding yeah. something. Anyway, um, she said that, and in those days, they weren't advocating abortion; they were advocating birth control. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she said something to end the letter. She said that we don't want the word to get out that we want to exterminate the Negro race. Now, whether or not she wanted to exterminate them, her, her supporters say, oh, well, they misconstrued that. She definitely didn't want too many of them around. And Gamble, and she wanted, they wanted to hire black doctors. She was advocating that they hire black doctors. And then that infamous 1938 Negro Project, she, thought, you know, she said the clergymen are the most influential people in the black community. We've got to get them on our side. And they got a lot on their side. And and then um, of course later they were they were promoting abortions in the 60s and 70s. But she also had a Nazi doctor write for her, Ernest Rudin, who was part of that um, the, the program in Germany where handicapped people were, were put. Even a Nazi, even the Nazi in Nazi Germany, the average German couldn't tolerate that, and there was so much outcry that they had to stop it. So even even in Nazi Germany, a totalitarian state, they were able they stopped. Because it was just becoming un- unacceptable to the uh, to the average German, and I was reading where the people, some of the staff people who uh, who left us, who left a set of um, Roe versus Wade, they couldn't believe that uh, she Sanger had you know these sympathies. Well, the evidence is overwhelming. It's not something again. It, they were very proud of it. It wasn't something that they were trying to hide at the time. It was something that they were well, promoting. You know. Yeah, there, there's a problem with putting things in writing. It's documentation. <laughs> and it seems that in this generation, you know, Roe v. Wade was back in 1973. We've got decades worth of cases based on that. And people, a new generation is becoming aware of just how screwy the process was that yielded Roe versus Wade. Uh, uh, Clark Forsyth with Americans United for Life, he's an attorney, published the comprehensive uh, description of that in a book called Abuse of Discretion. And now we have uh, a a mass market movie in production that takes a critical look at it. I think it deserves a critical look um, because, uh, you know, we we can see the effects today 
Um, it's like, okay, we have permission under Roe versus Wade and, and its progeny. We have permission for uh, states to impose parental notification for teenagers. Um, we, have, we give states permission to block late-term abortions if they want, but they don't have to. And it's like, why are we happy with that? Let's go back and look at where this case came from in the first place. I think our Constitution is stronger when we understand that rather than just treating the Supreme Court as some kind of magic panel. It is one of the branches of government. It's not magic. And their decisions need to be grounded in constitutional reality. Roe came out of nowhere. Well, the bottom line is a Supreme, nowhere in the Constitution does it say a Supreme Court decision overturns state, constitu, state law, the state constitution because you have Article 10. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and the, and who, who enforces a Supreme Court decision? Well, the only entity that can do that would be the Attorney General of the United States. And that's the problem, that they, people have bought into this idea that it's the highest law of the land when Congress is actually the highest law of the land. And they could have passed a, simply passed a law, and they, there was actually bills to do that, simply outlaw abortion, and then say to the Supreme Court that they have no, they have no say in this, and that's one of the prerogatives of Congress. That they can they can limit the appellate jurisdiction of the Supreme Court, uh, and the left knows this because Ted Kennedy tried it did it with uh, with a, a couple of uh, laws. So they know how they how they use the Constitution when when it benefits them. Well, <clears throat> so we've I had think the decades is, now. To, no, go ahead. Oh yeah, um, I, I I inherited the library of Samuel L. Blumenfeld, who was a dear friend, and he was a. Both, uh, both of us were close friends of the late Dr. Mildred Jefferson, and in in his library was a book of, of, was a book about uh, it was a biography of uh, Dr. Uh, Horatio Robinson Storer. Do you know his story? I do not. Oh well, he was one, the man that pioneered the outlaw the laws against abortion. He was uh, a pioneer in uh, women's medicine. Eighteen, he died, I think, in nineteen twenty. He had a long life. Harvard trained, and I was very honored to learn that my ancestor, Dr. Nathaniel Sheriff, who was mayor of Boston, uh, was also worked with him, and they had the American Medical Association, which was relatively new. I think it was a meeting they had in, 18, in 1850s, 1861, where they said how horrible abortion was, and that's where they, the technology was advancing, where he said life begins at conception, and it wasn't uh, up before that. It was when the baby was actually moving, quickening is when they considered the baby to be uh, uh, viable. And there were mm-hmm. no laws against abortions in any of the states. It was relatively, it was probably considered rare, and not, definitely not uh, promoted. So state by state, including the New York, the New York Times was one of the champions of the pro-life movement. And within a short time, every state had laws against abortion. In some cases, they were, an abortionist was considered a felon and put in jail. And it wasn't until uh, these 1960s when several states, uh, California, I know Ronald Reagan and New York, um, Republicans too. Ronald Reagan did have a change of position, thankfully. Nelson Rockefeller, the Republican uh, doctor of, I mean, governor of uh, New York, and a few other states that had uh, decriminalized it. And then came Roe versus Wade, 1973, which uh, uh, supposed to have struck down all of the state's laws against abortion. And, you know, we've started since 1973, we've had attempt after attempt to attack Roe from the top down. 
But as Abby Johnson, I've met her, and she has said to me, and she knows that I spend a lot of time on state legislation. She has said to me, she looks me in the eye and says, Ellen, the abortions are not happening in the halls of Congress. They're happening in our towns. We need to get on the sidewalks, get out there. It's going to be the relationships, the one-on-one relationships between the people on the sidewalk and the people in the abortion clinic that's going to make a difference. And I think the movie, Unplanned, which is totally (laughs) non-political because it's Abby's story, really illustrates uh, the strength that that can have. Uh, Whether someday we get to uh, law, you know, the constitutional precedent that respects human life, child and mother, I don't know when that's going to happen. But I do know that one-on-one relationships are going to make a difference. Once Abby left, and the movie doesn't say much about this, she started an organization for former abortion workers. More than 500, including some doctors, have left the industry with the help of her organization. And by help, I mean placement in other jobs, legal help when their old employers come after them, uh, peer counseling, all kinds of things. 500 people has said, this is not what I want to be doing. This is not what I got into women's health for. We have something better that we want to move towards. That, that, that's remarkable. And I, I, that's why I think it's important for all of people who are in the pro-life, who are pro-life. We may not see Roe versus Wade overturned anytime soon, but we can prevent as many abortions as, as we can through education and, as you said, through personal contact. And I, you know, I look at some of these poor ladies as victims. You know, they're, they're first they lived in a culture where death is accepted. It's something that mm-hmm. uh, it's a fetus, not a human being. That's what they've been told. Uh, anyone looks at an ultrasound, I don't care how trained you are, you, you see that little tiny thing, and that's a baby. You know, I'm the father of five children. My wife and I, um, in fact, we insisted that our doctor, uh, the, you know, the, the gynecologist, mm-hmm. that uh, she never performed an abortion and she didn't say she was pro-life or pro-choice or this or that she just right. said i've never been trained to do an abortion because we didn't want those hands you know that that took life to bring life that to bring life into the world so uh but i think that uh the more people understand what's happening i mean if they actually looked at the procedure and the and the ultrasounds you know the, what is it just a few weeks the heart starts forming the heart's beating the, the and unplanned pulls no punches about that at all. You will see that in the course of the movie. And the R rating reflects not that it's gory, but that somebody in the rating board understands abortion's violent. It's <laughs> it, violent. It is violent. And, and it's controversial. Like I said, um, with Gosnell, in fact, I interviewed uh, Audrey Schwartz, who's a writer for the Calcedon Foundation, and she thought that it should have been a little gory. Even the picture of baby boy A, uh, mm-hmm. when you're, you're watching the trial and they show it to the members of the jury. And I understand that the jury all had to be pro-choice. They could, none of us, I hate to say it, pro-abortion. Um, that's, the, that's, the, that's the term they use to make abortion sound clean, pro-choice. Yeah. As I understand it, pro, pro, people who were uh, avowedly pro-life were not permitted on the jury. That's right. And I understand that many of them had a second thought on the subject. So uh, it's like when you you uh, being impaneled for a jury and it's a drunk driving case, you, they don't want you to belong to moms against drunk drivers or any of those groups like that, right. you know, sad or mad. 
uh, because then they disqualify you. So if you're pro-life and it's abortion, and you know what's interesting, I think that was was Gosnell the only abortion doctor since Roe versus Wade that was actually tried for murder? As far, well, actually, there were other attempts and they're much closer to Roe. Um, and uh, there was Dr. Edelin in Boston, and that wound up being... Oh, yes. Dr. Oh, yes. Dr. Jefferson was intimately involved That's right. in that case. Yes. But Gosnell, he was convicted of murdering kids who had survived attempted abortion. They survived, and he killed them anyway. Had he been accused of simply performing late-term abortions, there wouldn't have been a case. The DA would not even have bothered. And you know what's fascinating is that here was this this filthy, and again I think the movie couldn't possibly. Uh, when you read the book, I'm thinking how could this? How could people live and work in such filth? You know, mm-hmm. and uh, in in the movie, in the Gosnell movie, there's a scene where they go into his house. They're doing a search warrant, and they go down the basement. I mean, he warns them not to go in the basement. They then they end up with hazmat suits. Well. In the book, it, the reality is they had the hazmat suits on before they went downstairs, and within a matter of seconds, they were covered with fleas. It was just indescribably filthy. And here's a you know a man of the medical profession that had good standing in the community, so-called, and running such a horrible, filthy place. I just it just um it just um it, and and as they pointed out, uh, a nail salon is inspected by the state of Pennsylvania one or the city right. once a year. This abortion right. mill that hadn't been inspected in years, and they had numerous complaints, uh, some really bad complaints. It was one where a woman had died in uh, like 2002 or three, and they never bothered investigating. Then the, the, the lady from the Asian lady, I can't pronounce her last name, um, where she died, she died after she, the, the abortion procedure was a fiasco, and she's rushed to the hospital. She dies in the hospital. I guess they just over-medicated her. Uh, mm-hmm. And there was uh, yep. nobody was interested. Uh, so, no. Even even Gosnell actually faxed, reported the, the, what happened. You know, at least uh, and he went through the efforts of doing that. They still didn't come in there and say anything. But if someone kept women got an infection, that's right. It, it, and it, it was it, Governor, it infuriates me that that could happen. And it was Governor Ridge, who was a Republican governor, that was mm-hmm. uh, basically. Uh, uh, hey, we don't want to. We don't want to bother anybody. But I did. I do understand that some of the uh, people that were involved in the cover-up or the, the lack of um, uh, of oversight were lost their jobs. And uh, yes. one of the the actors, the actresses, uh, like Nurse Nurse Cratchit, she was that callous, you know, just totally indifferent. Um, because again, they abortion was sacrosanct. You know when. Workers is now one of the people who has gone through Abby Johnson's group and is now uh, pro-life. Oh, really? Who was who that? Served, you know? she's, I cannot remember her name, but she served time in jail for her actions and inactions um, as, as one of Gosnell's uh, employees. And when she came out, she said, I've had enough of this industry and uh, went to Abby Johnson's group, called, and then there were none. And she is now pro-life. That's great. Well, we need to get more people like this. I think they can, they become the most powerful advocates of the pro-life message, people who have been in the, in the the industry. And I've long contended that the people behind the scenes aren't interested in a woman's right to choose or a woman's body. Uh, you have no right of my body. It's all about uh, uh, population control. I think that's the bigger picture. 
you know, country like China, they don't, they don't have to worry about that. They just say one child policy or what have you. And here we're supposed to have, we're supposed to be a free people. So they can't force people that have uh, licensed their parents and uh, one child policy. So they call it, uh, they call it a choice. And uh, it's all also about person. dollars and cents. And, oh, and, that's, yes. and that's tragic that, that women's health and children's lives depend on dollars and cents. But that was one thing that caught Abby Johnson's attention when she was Planned Parenthood manager. At one point, she was given a quota of abortions. And she said, wait, she said to her supervisor, wait a minute, uh, we're supposed to be doing things that reduce the incidence of abortions. And her supervisor said to her, Abby, where do you think the money comes from? Wow to keep us open. And that was a slap in the face to her. And it was one of the and, things that helped build build the critical mass, so to speak, for her to leave. And what's interesting, too, the supporters of Planned Parenthood, well, they do other things than abortion. Abortion is only a small percentage. They do all kinds of things, you know, breast screening, bre- bre- cancer, breast cancer screening. I think most of this is a, a lie. Can you elaborate on that? I think that, well, you know, you could say that uh, sexual harassment was only 3% of what Harvey Weinstein did. Does that mean he gets gets off the hook? Um, And when Planned Parenthood in my own state comes out and says, if you cut off our family planning money, you are depriving women of help. Well, while the Planned Parenthood of Northern New England is saying that, they are not transferring one dime away from their public policy budget and their marketing budget over to clinical care. That tells me all I need to know about their concern for my health. That's interesting. So, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, they perform, What do you know the percentage of abortions they perform in the United States? I mean, it's, they, it's a good chunk. It's, a, it's at least one-third. One-third of all abortions. And is the average abortion, what is it, between 1500 to $3,000? Uh, that sounds like a more later-term abortion. The uh, ones, it, it runs into the hundreds for early-term uh, or a so-called chemical abortion, a medical abortion uh, mm-hmm. for medication. But the price varies depending on the state in pregnancy. And in some states, for instance, New Hampshire, which doesn't keep abortion statistics at all, you don't know what proportion are early or late, how much money is coming in. All you know is that when any money gets threatened to be cut from an abortion provider, they go, oh, there go our cancer screenings, there go our, our, our uh, you know, well woman visits. Well, again, look, do they right. transfer any of their other money to clinical care? No. We only have a, about a minute left. How can the listeners uh, get a hold of you? Uh, you have a blog and you give that information out. I have a blog called levenforthelove.com. That's L-E-A-V-E-N for the loaf.com. And I concentrate on pro-life issues in New Hampshire, including legislation. And if you'd like to learn more about the Unplanned movie, go to unplannedfilm.com. You can also find there where the film is premiering March 28th and 29th. Uh, in New Hampshire, you'll find it in Newington and in Hooksit. Uh, the times are yet to be determined, but uh, please go to unplannedfilm.com, and I'll see you at the theater. All right. Thank you so much for being on. Uh, you've been listening to Camp Constitution Radio on WBCQ The Planet, and until next week, may God bless you.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.